Welcome to Catherine Biroy's show. Today, I am especially grateful and honored to have Howard Tisky with me today. He is a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance, which was recently listed by Forbes as one of the 10 most important business books of 2021. Howard was named by IDG as one of the top 10 digital transformation influencers to follow today and by Enterprise Management 360 as one of the top 10 digital transformation influencers that can change your world. As an entrepreneur, he has launched two successful companies that help large brands transform to thrive in the digital age from the Digital Transformation Agency and Innovation Loft. Among his dozens of Fortune 1000 clients are Version, NBC, Universal Studio, uh, JPMC, Morgan Stanley, the NBA Visa, and digital leaders like Facebook, Spotify, and Amazon. Welcome, Howard. I'm so happy to have you here with me today. How are oh, you? Hey. I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. Let's talk about something which truly impressed me. I was following your work for a long time, especially on LinkedIn, and I'm truly, truly impressed. And you're talking about customer love. What is actually achieving customer love and why is that one of the most important aspects for business success? Sure. Well, in the work that we do, and I've been doing for the last few decades working with large companies, one thing that I've uh, sort of um, focused on, and, and it's sort of obvious in a way, but it's something I'm not always certain companies are focusing on first and foremost, is that the number one way to improve any business's results is to more effectively influence the customer. Mm -hmm. There are other things, of course, that impact business results. You could get more better you know, pricing in your raw materials from your suppliers, and you could optimize other things. But in the end, <laughs> Getting your customers to behave in a way that aligns with your business interests, if you're doing that effectively, mm -hmm. then that will cover a multitude of sins in other areas of your business. And if you're not doing that successfully, then it almost doesn't matter what else you're doing. You're probably not running a successful business. So that means the customer and influencing the customer's behavior is the absolute most important thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most businesses have very similar goals with respect to the customer, at least at a high level. They want to acquire new customers. They want customers to buy more frequently. They want customers to be less price sensitive, willing to pay higher rates, etc. Mm -hmm. Whether it's products or services, whether it's business to business or business to consumer, these are typical things that companies want from customers. Mm -hmm. And so how do you do that? What is the best way to get your customer to be loyal, to be less price sensitive, to buy more, to buy more frequently. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out it's to create a strong emotional relationship with that customer, to get that customer to feel invested in your brand, invested in your products, wanting to build more and more of that relationship they have with your brand. Mm -hmm. And if you look around at some, most of the most successful companies, whether it's Apple or Disney or Harley Davidson, companies across a wide range of different industries, you see that pattern. Even though if you look at most brands, you don't find a really strong emotional relationship with customers. Mm -hmm. And so this is a key success criteria for the brands that are the most successful, Amazon or Facebook or Uber. These are brands that really connect with customers. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the work that we do, and I've talked about in my book is, so how do you do that? How do you achieve that strong emotional connection with the customer? And by the way, what do you call that strong emotional connection with the customer? I call it customer love. Mm -hmm. Some people sometimes like to say, well, isn't that the same as loyalty? 
Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't use that term in that way, mostly because um, the term loyalty in business is usually used for something different. Mm-hmm. When we talk about customer loyalty, what we usually mean is a certain customer behavior, repeat transactions. The customer that flies an airline regularly is loyal. The customer mm-hmm. that uses a credit card regularly is loyal. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine, but that's not a description of an emotional relationship. Mm-hmm. That customer might have an emotional relationship, but they just might use that credit card because you're giving them tons of free points. Or they might just use that airline because that's the airline that fly has the most flights from the airport near their house. Mm-hmm. It may not be that they're emotionally invested. And so we don't want to use that word for too many different things. Otherwise, it gets confusing. And so I, I talk about the idea of customer love. Mm-hmm. Of course, love can mean a lot of things. You know, I love my wife. Um, I love my Ford Mustang, obviously mm-hmm. not in exactly the same way. You know, so when we talk about customer love, we're talking about it in the same way that people say they love Starbucks. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, necessarily a romantic love or the same as we mean between people, but it's that emotional connection with the brand. I absolutely love this now when we're talking about love. I, I really, really love this. And I believe that we as a human beings actually make decisions sometimes emotionally based. And when we love a brand, we I, I know which brands I love. And I know that I buy things even if I don't need them just because yeah. I love the brand. And that's, that's which- obvious. Which brands do you love? Well, Apple, for example, mm-hmm. uh, Nike, Swarovski. Yeah, it's just, you know, something that I really love. And yeah. uh, I feel uh, emotionally connected. So if I said to you, you know, Adidas has just come out with a new running shoe and it has a, a sole that uses some new kind of rubber that has better shock absorbency. You know, how interested are you in that versus the next Nike shoe? No. <laughs> right. right, exactly. See, that's that's so valuable because it means that if, if we lose a little bit of competitive differentiation, or what if I said to you, well, Adidas has another shoe. It's basically the same shoe and it's 20% cheaper than the Nike shoe. I mean, I'm not talking about a, a junk brand, another good brand, Adidas. Would you want to buy the Adidas shoe for 20% less? Well, I might try, but I wouldn't be so happy, right? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's obvious, especially I, I mean, I don't want to get this into gender related, but women, especially we we tend to buy things because we love things. And, and, and that's that's so obvious. And I love how you phrase that. Um, is there a love formula for for a customer love? Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like somebody's read my book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So um, so that's one of the things that we have worked on for years is to try to say, all right, this idea of customer love is so valuable, mm-hmm. but uh, is it really predictable? You know, I mean, when we think about love in real life between people, for example, you know, we have images of you know Cupid with an arrow, or it's it was fate, it was destiny, you know, and it's a little bit hard to uh, you know uh, formulize how to achieve destiny. But in reality, the kind of love that we're talking about with brands is the result of very specific thoughts and feelings on the part of your customer, mm-hmm. and when you trigger those particular thoughts and feelings you inspire that kind of emotional connection. And so one of the things that my consulting firm that we've done for many years is a lot of customer research. And so that has enabled us to understand what are the three key thoughts and feelings that Mm -hmm. lead to or typically inspire that feeling of love? And what are the three things 
that companies need to do mm-hmm. in order to inspire those thoughts and feelings. So let me describe the three things that companies need to do mm-hmm. and then what the associated thoughts and feelings are. So the three things companies need to do, and I think of it as kind of a pyramid, there's the base of the pyramid and then there's two layers above. Mm-hmm. The base of the pyramid is to consistently meet the needs of their customer. Sounds very basic, just under, you know, understand the customer's needs and make sure that you're very consistently meeting them. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be perfect, nobody's perfect, but that that customer knows that you'll very consistently meet those needs mm-hmm. within the domain that your brand is focused on. Of course, you love Nike. It's not because they cook you a great meal or they fly you from place to place when you want to go someplace. Of course not. They have a certain domain that they're meeting your needs in. But in that domain, if you started buying Nike shoes and the the laces tore as soon as you tried to tie the shoe or they didn't support your foot properly, you'd be they'd be failing you. Mm-hmm. in that basic area of need. Um, and so that is not sufficient to inspire love, but it is necessary. If you're not doing that, you're probably not inspiring love, but you need to do more. Than that. Mm-hmm. So the second layer is to occasionally or periodically exceed their expectations to do something above and beyond what you need to do in order to just meet their needs, to surprise and delight them in positive and unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. That's the second level. And many brands do that. They'll, they'll send you something for free that you don't expect, or they'll, they'll create some other kind of gesture that uh, is not what you were anticipating and is a positive. Mm-hmm. And then the third level is to stand for something that the customer resonates with, to stand for something the customer um, also believes in. Mm -hmm. And and we see here in the United States, anyway, some brands that have done that. Well, you mentioned Nike, right? Nike is a brand here in the U.S. that has taken very political stance, um, uh, aligning with Colin Kaepernick and Black Lives Matter in terms of support for those types of causes here in the United States at the expense of some people not wanting to do business with Nike because they don't share those values. Mm -hmm. But when a brand stands for something that people believe in, it tends to be so much more attractive to people who do share those values that even if it um, even if it pushes away some people, mm-hmm. it's still usually a net positive. So, and by the way, what you stand for as a brand doesn't have to be something political. The Nike example is of course a political stance, but take Apple. I think most people would say that Apple does stand for something, but it's nothing Republican or Democratic or Mm -hmm. socialist or conservative or whatever Mm -hmm. country you're in or whatever party you're you're focused on. It's more about, you know, empowering human imagination and allowing Mm -hmm. people to be their best. And that's also standing for something. It's just, you know, Disney similarly stands for something, but probably not something political. So that's, those are the three things that brands need to do. And by the way, um, you know, how many brands achieve this? I would say that probably no more than half of brands consistently meet their customers' needs. Just just that mm-hmm. is not always done. Some certain, certainly some do, and some are more questionable. How many brands occasionally go above and beyond like their customer? Probably even fewer. And the number of brands that really stand for something that customers resonate with is even fewer than that. And this is why there are so many brands, but only a very small number that most mm-hmm. people point to as loved. If I would ask a hundred people about brands that they love, mm-hmm. the same brands will come up over and over again. Nike, 
Apple, et cetera. Uh, and, and, and that's interesting, right? Because if you said, well, how many brands do you experience in your life? They could probably list a hundred. Mm-hmm. And yet it's the same brands over and over. So there's a small number of brands that have, that have cracked this code. So then why these things, right? What, what, you know, why did these three things in particular mm-hmm. inspire that feeling of what I call customer love? It's because of the meaning mm-hmm. that customers place on these things. You know, we ask customers sometimes, when they, we, we understand the experiences they've had with the brand and the resulting behavior or the resulting thoughts and feelings, well, why? Why does it make you feel this way? And so, for example, mm-hmm. when a brand has, let's say, a website or an app that's difficult to use, confusing, mm-hmm. frustrating, mm-hmm. et cetera, that makes people typically feel less connected to the brand because mm-hmm. so many customers today, uh, digital is such an important part of their life. Yes, And if we say to them, well, why is this so important? I mean, you could order another way. If you really love the brand, mm-hmm. you could go to the store, you could call a call center, or you could even use the website. I mean, yes, it's a little confusing, but I mean, you could figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. And they say, yes, I could figure it out. So why is this so important? And they say, because it makes me feel like they don't care about me. If if they if they uh, you know or, or they don't understand me they either don't they don't get me right mm-hmm. they don't understand what I need because mm-hmm. if they did they wouldn't have such a confusing experience they wouldn't have such a frustrating experience and so if we look at how these three things map to feelings mm-hmm. the first one delivering the customer a consistent experience mm-hmm. generally creates the meaning in the customer's mind they understand me. Mm-hmm. They know what I need mm-hmm. because after all, that's what I'm paying them for. So presumably they're motivated to deliver what it is I need because that's a commercial relationship. Exactly. But, but the fact that they're actually successfully doing it shows that they really understand what I need. Mm-hmm. The second level, when people go, when a brand goes above and beyond, that makes people feel they care about me. Mm-hmm. They actually like me and care about me because These are things they didn't have to do. I was going to give them my money for just meeting my needs. And yet they're doing more things that aren't necessary in order for me to pay them. And that makes the customer feel like it's not only about, they only care about my money. They only care about the transaction. They seem to value me Mm -hmm. in a way that goes beyond just what I've paid them for. Mm -hmm. And then the third level when there's something that that brand stands for that I agree with and that's important to me, mm-hmm. then that makes me feel that they are like me in some way. It humanizes the brand because mm-hmm. now it's not just about delivering goods and services, but it's about it's about having a point of view on life or the world that I share. Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel like there's some commonality. There's a similarity between me and the brand. And so if you think about these three feelings – feeling understood, mm-hmm. feeling cared about, mm-hmm. and actually feeling some similarity or common cause. Well, imagine you met somebody at a party or something, or, uh, forget brands for a moment, a person. And imagine mm-hmm. you talked to them for 10 minutes and you thought, gosh, after 10 minutes of talking to them, you thought, you know, I really think this person gets me. They really seem to understand me where I'm coming from. And they, they seem to kind of like, you know, somehow value me or care about me or like me. In mm-hmm. some way that just they don't just understand me, but they seem to like me. And 
I kind of feel like in some ways they are like me. Maybe not in every way, but we share something in common that's important to both of us, a common passion. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, is that somebody who you might not fall in love with them instantly, mm-hmm. but I think that's somebody that most people would say, I want to know this person better. Now, of course, if it's a, it's a romantic, a person that, you know, is, is an appropriate gender for you or whatnot, and you're about, it might lead to a romance or a friendship or whatever, but this is somebody where you have that potential for an emotional relationship. Mm-hmm. And of course, As you spend more time together, if those things continue to be reinforced, not just 10 minutes, but after spending a bunch of time, they they continue to be meeting your needs. They they continue to seem to understand you. They continue to seem to care about you. And Mm -hmm. they continue to seem similar to you. This is the fertile ground for a strong bond between people. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, between a person and a brand. And so that's the formula, if you will. Uh, the three things that you need to do, meet their needs, occasionally exceed their needs, and stand for something they resonate with, and the three feelings that you create as a result, I feel understood, I feel liked or cared about, and I feel that there's a commonality between me and this brand. This is so powerful. When you explain it this way, it sounds simple. And it's when you when you made the parallel with with a real life, not a brand, it's it's so true. And, you know, I'm with my husband 20 years. And now I understood one thing. Always for my birthday, he go for a secure thing. So the brand I love, you know, once I, I told him, like, please surprise me. Don't go with Nike or Apple anymore. But this is so powerful. It, no matter if we're talking about corporate brands or, or personal brands, people choose to work with people they like, they love, they feel connected to They trust, actually, and it's practically the same. So if a brand wants to transform and to become one of the brands which are loved, uh, is there any kind of transformation process? Yeah. So, well, of course, this is the kind of heart of what most of the pages of my book are focused on. How Mm -hmm. do you go from where you are to where you want to be? Because sometimes it can feel overwhelming. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, man, you know, I work at this huge company and yeah, customers don't really love us. You know? <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, you know, we, we probably don't consistently meet their needs. And maybe once in a while, we surprise them in a positive way, but we surprise them in a negative way just as often, you know, and we definitely don't stand for something. Holy cow, how will I ever get it? <laughs> that's a common, a common feeling. And, and it's not easy. And that's why there's so few companies that are there. It's mm-hmm. one thing to know the formula. Mm-hmm. And as you say, the formula is simple, but the achieving of the formula is a lot less simple. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a five-step process, which Mm -hmm. I outline in my book to get there. And so the basic process, and I'll give you the high level and happy to answer any more detailed questions. The first step is called understand your customer. Mm -hmm. Most brands have some understanding of their customer or, you know, they wouldn't be in business. But I would say my unscientific approximation is that most brands understand their customers at about a level six out of 10. Mm -hmm. They definitely know some things about their customers, but there are also important aspects about why their customers do business with them, why they sometimes don't do business, what is really satisfying them, what is dissatisfying them. There's important things that most brands aren't aware of about their customers. How do I know that? Because one major part of my business is working with big brands and going out and doing research to understand their customers Mm-hmm. And inevitably, we come back with important, important insights, which aren't under, aren't known 
within the organization that we're working for. And thank mm-hmm. goodness, because that's why they pay us, right? <laughs> Good thing we come back with something you're not expecting. But in reality, uh, you know, so many companies don't even do the level of research that we do at my company, and they go along based on um, assumptions about mm-hmm. their company. Mm-hmm. And some of those assumptions are probably correct. So that's fine. But some of them are are incomplete. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't thoroughly understand your customer, then how can you expect to thoroughly meet their needs? You don't even understand all their needs. You understand some of their needs, which is why you're meeting some of their needs. And that's why they're continuing to do business with you. Mm-hmm. But you're also frustrating, confusing, disappointing them in other situations, and you may not even realize it. So that's mm-hmm. the first step. The second step is to map the journey, to understand, first of all, what is the actual experience my customer has when they do business with me? And when I say my customer, some companies have millions of customers. Obviously, you're not mapping every single customer, but try to understand for different segments in different types of customers in different situations, the customer's experience, for example, purchasing something, returning something, having a warranty claim, paying their bill, of course, depending on what type of business it is, there are very different types of customer experiences. Mm-hmm. But what really goes right? And where are the points of pain that that customer has when they do business with you and your brand? Mm-hmm. Again, most companies have a sense of it, but very often they have an idealized sense of how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But what really happens when that customer walks into the store? Mm -hmm. Are they able to quickly find the product they want, put it in their cart and check out conveniently? Or, I mean, we've all gone to store, right? How many opportunities are there for things that waste your time, confuse you, frustrate Mm -hmm. you, sometimes cause you to leave without the product you went there for. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you leave with the product, but you think to yourself, oh man, if I had an alternative to that store, the next time I need something, I would be very happy to find another way because that was painful. And so uh, mapping that current journey is very important because of course, those are where the opportunities are to improve. Mm -hmm. I always say when we do that kind of work, every problem we find is good news because however much money the company is making already, they're Mm -hmm. doing it despite all of the pain that is being created for their customers. Mm -hmm. And so- Every point of pain is an opportunity to say, gosh, if we were to fix this, if we were to remove that point of pain, how much more business could we do with our customers? And so that really helps focus where it makes sense to invest. And then the second part of that second step is to create the future state journey vision, the map. Mm-hmm. Where, mm-hmm. What, what, if we were built with everything we now know based on understanding the customer and based mm-hmm. on studying the current journey, if we were to build it all again from the ground up, how should that journey really be? What really should the experience be? How can we leverage current technologies, whether that's apps or artificial intelligence or machine learning or 3D printing or drones? And it's not necessarily about using the newest, coolest thing. Not everybody needs a drone, mm-hmm. but rather just saying, you know, technology enables us to do so much today. Um, how would we create a better experience leveraging the tools that we have at our disposal in 2022, because mm-hmm. a lot of customer journeys are old. They mm-hmm. were designed and built years or decades ago, and mm-hmm. they ne- haven't necessarily been transformed. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why a company like you know Uber comes along mm-hmm. and says, wait a minute, there's a better way to do taxi cabs. It's a very different experience. Instead of, I don't know where you live, in New York City, before Uber, if you want a taxi cab, you'd go stand on the corner, you'd stick your arm out, 
your arm would get tired after a while, you know, <laughs> there'd be other people also doing that. So you're competing with other people. You're looking at them like, Hey, I was here first, you know, um, it could be raining, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there could be some water in the gutter and a car drives by and splashes you while you're mm -hmm. at the looking for a cab, you know, you don't know how long it's going to take. So you start to worry, how long is this going to take? Am I going to get to my meeting on time? There's a lot of friction and pain in that mm -hmm. experience. And, you know, someone like Uber comes along and says, let's do it in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. um, now, not everything has to be transformed that dramatically, but those are the kinds of opportunities we want to be looking at when we create that future shape journey. So that's the second step. The third step is you got to start building it. You got to say, okay, what are the steps? What's the roadmap? And what are the chunks that I need to build and create to get from where we are to where we need to be? We need a new app. We need a new backend system for managing something. We need a CRM. We need a content management system. We need a, there's all kinds of components, both backend and customer facing. We need a chatbot. We need to change the software that we use in our point of sale system and mm -hmm. on and on and on. Uh, so each of those things is, is work, is a project. So you need to start breaking it down and doing it. And you're not going to get it all done in one day. And in the book, we talk a lot about using design thinking principles to make sure that as you build those individual components, mm -hmm. you're doing it in a way that really resonates with the customer as well. Because you can have the right general idea, like, oh, we need to create an app that makes it easy for customers to check their orders. Okay, that mm -hmm. might be the right idea. But then when you go make the actual app, you better make sure that it's easy to use. Because you could have the right idea, an app to check the order, and then make it confusing about how you navigate the app. And then mm -hmm. customers are still going to be dissatisfied. So how do you make sure that when you're building the individual components, you don't lose your way in terms of making sure it really works well with the customer? And then, so those are the three kind of main serial components to understand the customer, map the journey, and then build, build the future. And while you're doing those three things, there's two more things that you need to do in parallel, or you should. This is what we talked about in the book. Mm -hmm. One is to essentially fix the present, improve things in the short term, because when you create that vision, that ambitious vision of where you want to go on a long term basis, mm -hmm. you know, it could take years to get there, you know, and, and, and as it should, because you're trying to create an ambitious transformation vision. Most companies are way behind and have a long way to go. And you don't want to only focus on things you can get done in 60 days because mm -hmm. then you're just, you know, patching things up. You're not really allowing yourself the space to create a transformation vision. But customers are often not that patient. Mm -hmm. uh, CEOs, investors, boards of directors are often not that patient. So while you're working on the long term, you also need to be looking for opportunities to improve what you've already got. Mm -hmm. A little tweak here mm -hmm. at making something a little less confusing, improving a certain feature, speeding up performance, things you can do for quick wins, quick hits in the short term to improve business and improve the experience in little ways while you're working on the long term transformation. And then the last of the fifth steps is leading the change. Mm -hmm. And of course, leadership is not the last thing. Leadership is the first thing you need to start doing. In the book, we talk about it last because I always feel it's easier to first talk about what needs to be done, mm -hmm. and then ask the question, so what kind of leadership is necessary to mm -hmm. be able to accomplish this? But getting organizations and particularly large enterprises like I work with to change is very tricky. Even if you're the CEO mm -hmm. of a large company, you can't just decide a change and everyone in the company is on board with it. Unfortunately, human beings don't work like that. Exactly. And so the it's much harder to be a leader of transformation Mm -hmm. than to be a leader in, let's say, ordinary times where all you're trying to do is make little incremental improvements. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the reasons it's so hard is that people resist change. Mm -hmm. Most people naturally resist change. And so you have to be able to have strategies on how to inspire your team members, your employees, to bring them along, to get them excited about change, which they almost, under normal circumstances, would not be excited about. You know, mm. the people who lead transformations, they tend to be a little bit of a rare breed. They're the people who are actually excited by change, excited by something new, excited by, let's blow up the way we're doing it today and do it in a much better way. But the thing that those people sometimes fail to realize is mm -hmm. that they're in the minority. They have some weird gene that most people don't have, you know, they love this stuff. And by the way, I'm one of those people. And Catherine, you may be one of these people. Yes, I am. But we have to remember that that we're odd. <laughs> <laughs> and when we say to the whole company, I've got a fantastic idea. This is going to be amazing. We're going to get rid of our call centers. We're not going to need our distribution centers anymore. We're going to do everything digitally. Most people are going to be like, that sounds like a huge pain in the butt. And by the way, I don't even know if I'd have a job in the future that you've just described. It sounds horrible. I don't want any part of it. And I want to stop it in any way that I can. Now, not everyone reacts that negatively. Some people just go, oh, geez, this is going to be a lot of work. Or, geez, I wonder if this is really going to work. Is this going to be a big failure and we're all going to be embarrassed? So there's a lot of reasons why. And I go into more detail in my book about all the reasons why people resist change. It's, it's psychology, really. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember that, that if we love change and we're excited about transformation, you know, I get the new iPhone and I'm really excited about it. But, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, I don't want a new iPhone. I have to learn a bunch of stuff. Forget it. I'll stick with my iPhone 11. You know, it's fine. You know, I don't need whatever's new and better. You know, it's going to be too much work to transfer everything over and figure out how to use the new features. That's how a lot of people think. So mm -hmm. uh, that kind of leadership that's both aware of it and is knowledgeable about the techniques that allow you to be successful and overcome those kind of naturally ingrained uh, psychological patterns that people have. That's that fifth area so that you can really get your organization mobilized around driving change. I have only two things to say. Sure. First, I'm speechless, and that's not usual. <laughs> and second, it's no wonder your book is a bestseller. In, in such a short time, you provide so much value and such a powerful information that like, everyone can truly understand and realize, wait a minute, I could do these things better. Or, yeah, he, he is onto something that is really how things should work. You know, I was a programmer 15 years. So wow. every time uh, they asked us to change something, I was like, yes, let's do that. And the other engineers were like, really? Do we really have to do? I mean, that works. Why we have to do that now? Right. So there is there is a kind of, a you know, a piece of human behavior. Some people like doing that. Some people don't. But it's mandatory in this times of digital transformation that we all step forward and really embrace what technology has to offer to us and, and to, to step out into the light and, and bring something new to our customers. I, I truly believe that. And I'm always for something better and something new and what you just described. And I think I will be the one who is going to listen to this podcast several times. And I learned so much from you. I'm so, so grateful. Oh, thank you. I'm humble. I appreciate you having me on. And it's uh, great. It's a great opportunity. To, to share these things. And, and, you know, I've just been very fortunate that I've had the opportunity to work with so many large brands over so mm -hmm. long and work with so many smart people, both of my clients and my colleagues. So a lot of what I'm sharing is, is, uh, 
insights collaboratively figured out through mm-hmm. through pain and suffering, <laughs> I <laughs> guess, problematic and, and and difficulties on projects over many years. And uh, it's an honor to be able to share with others, and hopefully, you know, have others be able to learn from some of the things we've had to figure out. Definitely, it's pure gold. Tell us where people can find you and how they can reach out to you. What's the best? Absolutely. Place? So those who are interested in learning more about the book, the book, again, Mm -hmm. is called Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote Mm -hmm. to Irrelevance. And uh, it's available on Amazon and most places where you buy a book. But there's also a website specifically for the book. If you want to go there, you can go to winningdigitalcustomers.com and Mm -hmm. uh, you can download the first chapter for free there if you like. Um, And it also has links to all the various places you can buy. Um, In addition, uh, I publish, as you mentioned earlier, a lot on LinkedIn. Almost every day I'm publishing content on LinkedIn. And so you can find me there. Just look me up under my name, Howard Tiersky, uh, T-I-E-R-S-K-Y. And I'd love you to follow my account and uh, take a look at the content that I'm publishing. And obviously, any thoughts and comments you have, I read all the comments. So would love for you to let us know what you think of what we're publishing. And um, I'll be there responding. Your content is absolutely brilliant. And I'm very, very happy and honored that our paths crossed. And thank you for being guest. I truly enjoyed it. And I hope you did too. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye.